0: call on His name. That's what we're going to be thinking about as we look at Mark 10. Well, happy Lord's Day. Day. It's good to be here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead this Sunday, as we do every Sunday. If He hasn't been risen from the dead, we are, of all men, most to be pitied, and we are still in our sins. But praise God, He is risen. Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to be finishing up this chapter this morning. Before we get into our international missions messages for Lottie Moon, we'll do that for the next two weeks. But our last one in Mark for the year, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. This is page 716 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a brown Bible in the chair in front of you at the bottom. Page 716, you'll find Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Let me read the word of the Lord, and then we will pray. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, which is not too different from yours. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people told him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, Son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? "Rabuni," the blind man told him, I want to see. Go your way, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he could see and began to follow him on the road. Father, we know that your word is true. We know that you have inspired it. You have breathed it out by your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit has moved Mark as he wrote down these words. And so we know that these words are your very words. It shatters the earth. It brings life to the disorderly and to the decayed. And so, Father, we pray that your word would breathe life into our congregation afresh this morning. For those who are already in Christ and have eternal life, we pray that we would be strengthened in this life, strengthened in repentance, strengthened in faith strengthened in humility and in trust in Christ. We pray for our friends here who are not yet Christian, who are not at this moment Christian. We pray that you would do for them what you did for Bartimaeus here, that you would open their eyes to see the glory of Jesus. Father, we cannot do this. You tell us to open the eyes of the blind, and yet we can't do it on our own strength. And so we're asking for your Holy Spirit to take your Holy Word and work in our midst. We pray that your work and your word would work in the children as well. And that you would be giving faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everyone, and abs- I mean absolutely everyone needs help. There's only one person who doesn't need help and that's God. God is the helper. He doesn't need anyone's help. God is the only one who is self-sufficient Everyone else is by nature insufficient. We are not self-sufficient. We are dependent on people and on things outside of ourselves. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you and I need help. Yet, we're slow to admit it. We're slow to admit our need for help. We're slow to confess our need for help. We get embarrassed to cry out for help, and we're hesitant to ask people when we need help. Why? If it's so clear that everyone needs help and we need help, why are we so slow to ask other people for help? I was just thinking about this and wrote down a few reasons here. Number one reason I have here is we don't think we need it. We're deceived into thinking we are self-sufficient when we are not. Secondly, we're embarrassed. Why would we be embarrassed? Third, we don't want people to see our weakness. We think that maybe they think we're not weak, and we want to uphold that perception whether it's true or not. Maybe we don't want to look foolish. I'll look like a fool if I ask for help, if I cry out for help. Maybe I'll be made fun of and mocked and criticized if I show my needs. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll lose the respect of others. Right now everyone respects me or the people respect me or I think they respect me because they don't know my needs. If they knew my needs, they would lose respect for me and they wouldn't love me anymore. Or maybe we are just discouraged to ask for help because others discourage us and we're hindered by them. Why would you need help? You can't figure this out on your own? And those comments become... Our dictators. last one I have here is we're scared of the rejection from the one we're asking for help. We ask someone for help, maybe they'll reject us. And so I'm not going to ask them for help. Well, in this story of Mark 10, 46 to 52, Bartimaeus is not afraid to ask for help. He is bold and bold. And desperate in asking for help. And we'll we'll think about why in a second. But let's just recap the story. I read it for you. Let me recap it for you. So here's Jesus with his disciples. Remember, he he pulled away from the crowd. And now he's setting his face towards Jerusalem. He is going to Jerusalem why? To what? To die, right? To be executed. He made that very clear in Mark chapter 10, verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death. Mark 10, 33. He is going to Jerusalem to die. So here's Jesus at a stop in Jericho. On the way out of Jericho, he passes by the gates and the paths that everyone travels. If you're a beggar, it's no different today. You go to busy traffic stops, right? If you're a beggar and you have a, you're a panhandler with a cup, you go to where the traffic is. You hold the cup out. The more people, the more likely you're going to get people giving to you. It makes no sense to to go beg where nobody is, right? And so here's Bartimaeus. He's blind and he's a beggar, which is natural. If you're blind, you can't work in that agrarian society. The only way you're going to make it is by people giving you money to provide for yourself. Because you're blind, you can't earn your own living, especially in that culture. Praise God today, it's a little different where, where... Blind people can earn income today, but in that culture, if you're blind, you're completely dependent on others. And so, here's Bartimaeus, a beggar, begging for money. As he's there begging for money, a large crowd, a larger crowd than normal, passes by. And he hears whispers, maybe even comments. Jesus? Did somebody say Jesus? Jesus, the Nazarene? Jesus, the one who's been healing people? Jesus, the one who's been opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears, is that who's in this crowd? The blind man thinks to himself as he hears. It is Jesus. He may be asked around, is that Jesus over there? Yes, it's Jesus. Jesus. In a split second, he starts screaming at the top of his lungs. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he doesn't know where he is, right? He's blind. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Screaming at the top of his lungs over the crowd with, uh, with the hope that perhaps Jesus might hear his voice over the cacophony of voices that are being spoken all around him. Screaming at the top of his lungs. Have mercy on me, son of David. So loud that the people around him are irritated. They're annoyed. So what do they tell him to do? Shut up. Be quiet. Can't you see we're trying to follow the Messiah? Sit down. Stop shouting in my ear. And what does he do in response? It says, all the more. The more they try to stop him, the more strength he had And shouted even louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Then Jesus stops. He looks, he says, call him. And so the disciples and others say, shut up, shut up, stop, be quiet. Gets a tap on the shoulder. Hey, Jesus is calling him. What? Oh, hey, come on. Good news. Jesus is coming. Jesus wants you. Come on. So they move from shutting him up to turning on a split second and now being the encourager, right? Hey, come on, buddy. You know, the Lord loves you. Come over here. He wants to say something to you. So here he comes, comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabuni, which means teacher, master, I want to see. And Jesus says, Go. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, He opens his eyes, and the first person he sees, maybe in his entire life, is Jesus. He sees Jesus, and you know what he does? He follows Jesus on the road with the crowd. Now, his name is Bartimaeus. It's it's very rare that, actually, this is the only time in Mark so far where the person healed is named. Family members are named, but this is the first time the person is named. Could it be that Bartimaeus was one in the early church that a lot of people knew? You know, there's a lot of Christians, and there's Christians in Jerusalem, and you know who's there, and certainly he had a testimony to share, did he not? In the early church, maybe people knew Bartimaeus, and that's why Mark mentions him. But here's the story. Bartimaeus is not afraid to ask. And when he asks, he gets sight. Here's the main idea. Jesus is willing and able to give life-transforming sight to those who are desperate for him. Jesus is willing and he's able to give you life-transforming sight that will transform your whole life if you are desperate for him. So now, I think the main point of this passage, what does Mark want us to do with this passage? Mark wants us to cry out for Jesus the way Bartimaeus cried out for Jesus. And so that's the main point is, Jesus is willing and able to give you life-transforming sight, so cry out to Him. I'll give you three reasons from this text why we are to cry out to Jesus for help. Number one, I'll just mention them and then we'll go through them and we're done. Number one, cry out to Jesus because you are needy. You need Him, so cry out to Him. Who cares what people think? Cry out, ask for it, beg for it, shout for it. Second reason, cry out to Jesus because he's merciful. And third, cry out to Jesus because he is able. Okay? We'll look at those one at a time. Cry out to Jesus because you're needy, because he's merciful, and because he's able. Number one, cry out to Jesus because you're needy. Go back to verse 46 or 47. So there's the blind beggar on the road. 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Many people told him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, son of David. So here we see that this man Bartimaeus is blind. Now, James Edwards, a commentator, says this, What Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight, he makes up for in insight. He can't see physically, but he sees something spiritually here. He knows something that other people there don't know because he has heard of Jesus. He's heard the stories, right? If you're a beggar on the road, you hear lots of stories of travelers passing by. They're not in cars driving by, they're walking by. So you hear lots of stories. He's heard the stories about Jesus, and get this, he actually believes them. He believes that Jesus has the power to heal. But more than that, notice what he calls Jesus in verse 47 and in verse 48. He calls Jesus something that no one else has called him so far in the gospel according to Mark. What does he call him? Son of David. He calls Jesus the son of David. In other words, he thinks Jesus is the Messiah. David is the, was the what in Israel? The greatest what? King. He was the greatest king of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel. And so if you're the son of the king, then you are the king. You're the heir to the throne, right? And if David's gone, you are the son of David. This is what God promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You can read that for homework. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You'll remember the story. Let me remind you. David is in Jerusalem. He has settled in the city of God. He builds a wonderful palace for himself to live in. And then he starts to think and worship God. As he starts thinking, he realizes, man, look at my palace. This is awesome. And there's the Ark of the Covenant where God lives. And he's in a dinky little tent. I'm going to build him a temple. How could I have this palace and God has a little dinky tent? I'm going to build him a temple. And so he, he wants to build God a temple. He tells Nathan, I'm going to build a temple for God. And then Nathan says, that's a great idea. Nathan goes home and God says, what did you tell David? That it was a great idea? Go back. Not that you sinned, Nathan, but it wasn't a great idea. Well, it is a good idea, but he's not the one to do it. His hands are hands of blood. Tell David his son will build a house for me, but tell David also I'll build a house for him, a dynasty. I'll build a household and a line, and he will have a son to sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. That's a big promise, especially in light of King Saul. How long did Saul's dynasty last, the king before David? How many generations? One. It really wasn't even a dynasty, right? His son Jonathan did not get the throne. So for David to say, my son's going to be on the throne is a big deal. There's never been an heir to the throne in the family yet in Israel. But not only to have your heir, but forever your son will be on the throne. Yeah, that's the promise that David will have a son. Either he'll keep having sons forever or he will have a son who will rule forever. And that's who Jesus is. He is the son of David. He's the promised king. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. And Bartimaeus gets it. And so he's shouting out to the king, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. Now this is, it so happens, it's December when I'm preaching this. And so Christmas is right around the corner. Last week, didn't we not learn from um, Dr. Luke Stamps who preached here that the branch, the righteous branch of David would come? And that was speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the king who was promised 1,000 years ago. Before Jesus stepped on the scene to David. Isaiah 35, 4 and 5 says this about the Messiah. Just listen. It says this. Isaiah 35, 4. Say to the cowardly Israel, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. Remember, they, they need God's salvation. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. And then listen to verse 5 of Isaiah 34. Then the eyes of the blind, when God comes to save Israel, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. When God comes to finally save Israel, what is he going to do to the eyes of the blind? Open them. What is he going to do to the deaf ears? Unstop them. So here is Bartimaeus, knowing the messianic promise. That David's son will be the Messiah. That when God comes to save, the eyes of the blind will be open. Now, if you're blind all of your life, you know promises like that, don't you? Those are the ones that stick. Those are the memory verses you have because you're blind. So that's your hope. So he knows it. And here's the son of David. This is it. The Messiah is here. That means God is going to save us. That means my eyes will be opened. Son of David, have mercy on me. See his faith? He's putting it together. He's connecting the dots. He's desperate for a cure from the only man who can give it to him. Not just to root out his financial problems. He doesn't just want money. He's not begging for money like he is with everyone else. He's begging for something different. He is desperate for sight. James Edwards says this. The kingdom of heaven, it has been said, is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Bartimaeus is desperate and his desperation is the doorway to faith. Do you get that? His desperation is the doorway to faith. When you feel your need, you will cry out in faith. When you feel self-sufficient, you'll shut your mouth because you got it all together, right? You don't need help. Unless you're desperate. And desperation is the doorway to faith. Jesus said, the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, desperate. For for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They're mourning because they're desperate. They're in pain. For they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They have needs. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. If you don't feel your need, you don't get help because you don't believe you need help. Desperation produces a faith that perseveres through difficulty. And it does not give up or gripe about how hard it is and blame others when it's when it's challenged to persevere. Remember Bartimaeus was hindered here, right? They were saying, "Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Be quiet." Now, if you don't have persevering faith, you're going to say, "Well, I tried." I guess it's God's fault because God God didn't hear me the first time I cried out. Is that, the, is that the response of faith? Real faith? No. Real faith is so desperate that it won't stop trying. It will keep crying out until God comes. That's the difference between fake faith and real faith. Fake faith gives up too early. It gets a challenge and it makes an excuse. It blames someone else. Well, it's their fault that I don't believe. They stopped me. That's what Bartimaeus could have said. That's what a lot of us might say. It's not my fault I don't follow Christ. It's this other person's fault in my life. If it wasn't for them, then I would be following Jesus. That's not persevering faith. And that's not desperation. If you're desperate, you don't care who's in your way. You're going to get Jesus. You're going to ask for it. You're going to cry. And when they stop you, you're going to cry even louder. So what does this mean for us as a church? Well, what does it mean, what does it mean for a non-Christian? If you're not a Christian, here's what God's telling you that you're spiritually blind. And yet, even though you're spiritually blind, that's not an excuse to not cry out. You're saying, well, how do I know if I, don't have, if I don't sense my spiritual need, if I can't see spiritually, why would I cry out? Even if you have a little bit of spiritual sense, guess what? Use it to cry out. Use every little drop of spiritual sense you have to plead to God seeking for more. You know why? Why? Even the little spiritual sense you have is not guaranteed to you. I praise God. One of my family members is a Christian today. Wasn't a Christian several years ago. One of the conversations that broke my heart with this family member was when they said, once I get rich enough and I make it in my job and I get financially settled, then I'll become a Christian. I remember sharing the gospel with this family member in the car and I said, well, then you'll never become a Christian. If you have any spiritual sense of your need for God, don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait until you get something else before you cry out. With whatever sense you have, cry out to God for help now. You know, you know this is scary. I'm not saying this is scary, but this is what God says. Uh, for those who have, more will be given. And to those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away. You have a little spiritual sense right now. You know what we call that? Grace. That's God's grace that you have any spiritual sense of your need. If you're sitting here today as a non-Christian, you know why you're sitting here? Because God has been kind to you. He wanted you to hear the gospel today. And if you do not use your spiritual sense to cry out to God today, I'm not saying it will be gone tomorrow, but it will not last forever. And you have no right for it tomorrow. You need to use it now. You need to cry out to God now to save you. If you're a Christian, you are saying, well, PJ, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to cry out for help, do I? Yes, you do. We all need help. When you become a Christian, does all sin go away in your life? No, right? We know that all too well. We still need God. And so we cry out more. We need God's prayer. You don't just need prayer before you become a Christian. You need it as a Christian. So pray. Cry out to God. Feel your desperate predicament. You're still poor in spirit. You still mourn over sin. You still hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ask others to pray for you. And don't be worried about how you look in their eyes. Share with someone, you know, can you pray for me that I would grow in righteousness? Because I lack it. We're like, oh, I don't, I can't share that prayer request because then they're going to say, well, where are you lacking it? And what sin are, you know, and they might get too nosy and I'm scared what they're going to think. So I can't tell them my spiritual needs. That's a lie from Satan. Tell them that you need help spiritually. Tell them you need help reading the Bible and praying and rejoicing in God and that you have bitterness that you can't defeat or you have, you have a, a situation where you're, you're angry at someone or you're irritable or whatever sin you struggle with, the, stru- the sin of lust or whatever it is. Share your need if you feel desperate. Cry out to God. One more thing for the church before we move to our second point here. Our second point is the shortest. Shortest. What does this mean for the church? Question. Is it possible for the church to ever hinder people from coming to Jesus? It's not only possible. It happens. All the time. We can hinder people from coming to Jesus. Because it inconveniences us. It discomforts us. It ruins what we value. I confess myself, you know, if I'm talking to a non-Christian, especially a needy, not a blind beggar, perhaps maybe a homeless person who might need God's grace, who does need God's grace. And I just look and say, I don't have time. It's inconvenient for me. It's too time consuming. But that's not Jesus. We ought to repent. I ought to repent. We ought to repent for the way we hinder non-Christians from coming to Jesus out of our own convenience. In this church building, when we gather here, or even when we're out on the streets. Don't hinder people from coming to Jesus. They need Him as we do. That's number one. Cry out to God because you're needy. Number two, cry out to Jesus because He's merciful. Verses 49 and 50. Look at verse 49. Verse 49 says, Jesus stopped and said, Call Him. So they called the blind man and said to him, Have courage. Be encouraged, brother. (laughs) Um, After they were telling him to be quiet. Get up. He's calling for you. So he threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now he trusted Jesus would be merciful. That's what he's crying for. Mercy. Cry out to Jesus because you, you know he's merciful. This man didn't care who tried to stop him. He knows something about Jesus. He's merciful. If I cry out for mercy... He's going to give me mercy because he is merciful. I know Jesus cares for me. I know he won't ignore me. I know Jesus hears me. I know you can hear me, son of David. Have mercy on me, please. He knows it. He believes it. And so he cries out to Jesus because he believes in the character of who Jesus is. The hearing, compassionate, attentive, merciful God. Jesus hears your prayers. He cares about your cries. He is attentive to the groanings of your heart. Amen. We have a wonderful Savior. We have a wonderful Savior. And so the application again is cry out to Jesus. I told you this point was short. Cry out to Jesus because he's merciful. As a church family, what does this mean? We pray for each other every day. What does this mean for us as a church gathered? We gather together every every Sunday night from five o'clock to six thirty, and from six o'clock to six thirty we cry out to Jesus. Why? Because he's merciful. Why? Because he hears. Why? Because he's attentive, and because he answers our prayers. That's why we pray. You might say, "Well, why do we keep doing it every Sunday night?" Because he hears. Because he's merciful. It's not just a waste of time. It's not spiritual exercise. It's spiritual transaction. He's hearing us, he's responding to us, and we're growing in faith. And so, let's pray as a church. Let's be a praying church that cries out because we believe he's merciful. What about as a Christian? Christian brother and sister, do not get lulled into the lie that Jesus doesn't care or hear or act. We get that way sometimes, right? Sometimes you pray for someone's salvation for 20 years and God hasn't saved them yet, right? That's true. And then you might get tempted with the lie that God doesn't hear. I like this story of George Mueller. I say this often, uh, usually in the context of sovereignty of God and prayer, but this applies here as well in terms of encouragement. George Mueller, I think it's George Mueller. It might be George Whitfield, but I think it's George Mueller. George Mueller was praying for one of his friends for 40 years for their salvation. And you know what one of his friends said? He's been praying for this guy's salvation for 40 years, and he hasn't gotten saved. Why don't you just give up and stop praying? You know what George Mueller said? Do you think God would have me praying for 40 years if he did not intend to save him? It's a matter of perspective, right? You can look at it and be like, well, I guess he's not hearing because it's been 40 years. Or you can look at it and say, man, he he has me praying for 40 years. I keep praying. He must be intending to save him. End of that story. After George Mueller died, this friend came to to saving faith. He didn't even see it in his lifetime. But he came. Don't stop praying for your children, your grown children. Don't stop praying for your your neighbors and friends. Don't stop praying for fellow church members. God hears. I hear it too often, too often from Christians. This person will never change. That is a lie. I say it on the authority of God's word. That is a lie. God changes people. He hears prayers. He answers prayers. And so, Christian, don't get lulled into that. For the non-Christian, listen to this, as far as prayer, because Jesus is merciful. You are not too bad. You're not too evil. You're not too smart. You're not too religious. You're not too troubled. You're not too anything for Jesus to hear you. Jesus can and will hear you. He is willing and merciful to respond to you. Don't keep talking yourself out of praying to God. Stop excusing yourself and convincing yourself that Jesus won't hear you or he doesn't care. If you're not a Christian, he cares about you. He wants to save you this morning. Cry out to him. And I, I must say this to the culture just because of the recent New York Post headline. You're familiar with the tragedy, the terrorist attack that happened not too far from here, San Bernardino. We need to be praying for them. But the headline of the New York Post, I believe it was, was saying like, stop saying our prayers and thoughts are with them. You need to stop saying that. And politicians need to stop saying that. That's what the headline was. Stop saying we'll pray for you and do something. And part of their answer was gun control. And so the debate rages on. That's not the point here. My point is, don't say that prayer does nothing. I say that to even the culture. I say that to the New York Post. I say that to anyone here or anyone who's going to listen to the recording of this sermon. Don't hinder people from praying to God for tragedies in this world. God hears. God is merciful. God cares. Now you might say, well, if God cares, then why did he allow it to happen? God must not be in control. Well, no, I think God is in in, in perfect control. He is completely in control and he is completely wise and he is completely loving. Then why did it happen? Short answer, I don't know. Specifically, I don't know. Big answer, I do know. It's for his glory and for his people's good. And he'll weave it in to his glory. And when we are all standing in heaven and we look back, we will not doubt the wisdom of God in that moment. We can't see it all now. But here's my point. When we pray, God hears and God acts. So pray for the comfort of those in San Bernardino, the families. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would work this together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose in that area. Pray that this would bring revival in our land where people repent from their sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Pray that that terrorism would stop, not only in America as it's beginning, but all around the world. Pray, pray, pray. Jesus stops and listens. Right? All these voices around. Jesus is walking. What does he do when he hears Bartimaeus? He stops and he listens. He will listen to you. Cry out to God because Jesus is merciful. Okay, so number one, cry out to God because you're needy. Number two, cry out to God because Jesus is merciful. And number three, cry out to God because he is able to heal you. He's able to heal you. He's able to answer you. He's able to meet your need. Verses 51 and 52. Look at verse 51. Then Jesus answered him, What do you want me to do for you? Rabuni, the blind man, told him, I want to see. So there's the question in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Well, before we get to that, what, notice what he calls Jesus here. It's a, it's a strange word. Rabuni. It sounds like what? What's the word that you know that sounds like it? Rabbi. rabbi, right? It's just a more intense form of the word rabbi. Rabbi is my teacher. Rabbuni is even like my great teacher. It's a, it's a greater, it's a more, with more um, umph to the, to the title of, of rabbi, rabuni. But it, it means teacher or master. Now, this is important because remember, Bartimaeus is believing that this is the Messiah. Remember in Isaiah, or go back, look at Mark 10, verse 34. It says, what are they going to do to Jesus in Mark ten thirty four, What did Jesus predict they'll do to him? They're going to mock him and do what on him? Spit on him, right? And then kill him. Remember I quoted Isaiah 50. You probably don't remember. That's okay if you don't. Isaiah 50, I made this two, three weeks ago now. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says this about the servant of the Lord. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. Isaiah 50, verse 6. 700 years before Jesus comes, the servant of the Lord will be beaten on the back and will be spit on in the face. Spat on in the face. There's a prediction the servant of the Lord will be suffering and, and mocked. But two verses before this verse, you get the idea of Rabuni. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord has given me, the servant of the Lord, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear. I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. Notice, God has given the servant of the Lord a tongue of those who are instructed so he might know how to sustain the weary with a word. In other words, the servant of Yahweh, who is going to be spat on and beaten, is the same servant who is going to be the great teacher to teach God's people God's ways. So here's blind Bartimaeus. This is the son of David. He can open my eyes. He's the great teacher. He's Rabuni. He might not know it and make that connection, but we know it now that Jesus is the one who was not only here to die, but here to teach. And so he says, teacher, so that's the title for him. And, and what's Jesus' question? What do you want me to what? What do you want me to do for you? And this man says, I want to what? What is, it? is it a prayer request? Sight, right? He wants to see. He wants mercy. We heard earlier, he wants mercy. He wants sight. Now this man sees better with his spiritual eyes than, than the disciples see with their physical eyes. Look at Mark 8. Go back two pages in your Bible. Mark chapter 8, verse 17. Look at it. This is after Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And then 4,000 men plus women and children among the Gentiles. And then he brings his disciples in a boat. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they say, who brought the bread? Remember that? And Jesus, said, Jesus says in Mark 8, verse 17. Why are you discussing that you do not have bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Is your heart hardened? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember when I broke five loaves for 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces of bread did you collect? Twelve. When I broke seven loaves for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of pieces of bread did you collect? Seven. And he said to them, Don't you understand yet? Are you still blind? The disciples were blind. They couldn't see. The disciples were blind by their kingdom ambition. They couldn't see this bread situation. Remember the children in Mark chapter 10 that were trying to come to Jesus? And the parents bringing their children to Jesus? What did they say? What did the disciples do? They were rebuking the parents. Get these children out of here. And that made Jesus indignant. Remember, we talked about why was Jesus so angry when you dis children like that, when you disrespect children like that, because Jesus sees something in children that we don't see. And they were blind. They couldn't see it, that the children of heaven belongs to those who are like children. And then the, the greatest one of all, and I think this is what Jesus what Mark is getting at here. Look at verse 51 again. What's Jesus' question? What do you want me to what? Do for you. Does that sound familiar? Just go back a few verses. To verse 36. What's Jesus' question in verse 36? What do you want me to what? Do for you. Who's asking that question? James and John. Remember James and John? They got their mom involved. Remember that? We want the big shot spots, Lord, at your right and your left in your kingdom. They had kingdom ambition. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, imagine that. The king of the universe, the son of God, asking you what what he wants you to do for him. Or what he wants you, what he wants you to do, wait, what he wants himself to do for you. Sorry, that's just a weird way of putting it. Okay, my point here is, if Jesus asks you that question, man, that's, a, that's the greatest person in the world to ask you that question, right? And James and John blow it. They blew the question. Why? Because they were blind. They were blinded by their kingdom ambition, so they could not see that true greatness is serving others. They didn't get it. They were blind. You know who else was blind? The Pharisees. Remember the divorce passage in Mark 10 verses 1 through 12? The divorce section? They were saying, Aha, Jesus, Moses says we could get divorced. Read the Torah. Read the law covenant. It's there. You're allowed to have a certificate of divorce. And Jesus says, What does it say in the beginning though? The two shall become one flesh. And what God has put together, let no man put asunder. They were trying to use the Bible to disobey the Bible. They were getting so legalistically particular. I'm not against specificity in studying the Bible. But they were so specific in their study of the Bible to use one verse to disobey another verse. So what do they want from Jesus? They were blind in their view and application of the law covenant. They couldn't see how desperately hard their hearts was. That's what Jesus was saying to them. Are your hearts so hard that you can't understand what God has said. They were blind because they thought they were so biblical. Be careful, Christians. We want to be a biblical church. We spend 45 minutes teaching the Bible every Sunday morning. We want to be biblical. But you can be hard-hearted and blinded even in your attempt to be biblical. The Pharisees were. The disciples were blinded by their kingdom ambition. The Pharisees were blinded by their self-righteousness. And their misapplication of scripture. And then the rich man was blinded. In the same chapter, right? He says, I want to have eternal life. What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Keep all the commandments. I did all of them. What else? You lack one thing. Go. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And the man went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. He was blinded by two things his own sense of his own goodness, his morality. I kept all the commands. That's number one, he was blinded by his morality. And number two, he was blinded by his earthly mindset. I'm living for this world. I have so many possessions in this world. Because Jesus said, Follow me, and you'll have treasures where? In heaven. But what about my treasures now? He was blinded by this world. Notice that these three pictures of blindness, the disciples, the Pharisees, and this rich man, are all religious people. These are people who are more likely to be found in the church than in the bar. I'm not saying people in the bar aren't blind, but these three groups of people, it's peculiar where the blindness is being focused in the book of Mark. It's on the religious, it's on the churchgoers, it's on us. Are we blind? So they blow the question. What do you want me to do for you? I want the big shot spot. Well, does Bartimaeus blow the question? What do you want me to do for you, Rabuni? I want to see. I want mercy, and I want to see. That's right. So perceptive of his need. It's obvious to him. But when you don't feel desperate, your need isn't obvious because you have all kinds of excuses to make you not feel your real need. But he didn't have any excuses. He was blind and begging. So I need sight, give me sight. And so God gives him sight, God gives him mercy. Now we need the sight too. Let me just show you, go to 2 Corinthians, before we go to the last verse in Mark. One more cross-reference in 2 Corinthians. Well, I'm going to quote Isaiah as well, but you're not going to turn there. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3, or 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this. The God of this world, or in their case, 2 Corinthians 4, four. in their case, the God of this age, or this world, has done what? Blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see what? The light of the what? Of the gospel of the? Glory of who? Of Christ. They are blind. Before you became a Christian, guess what? You were blind. You might be able to see physically, you could not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And that is our need. And guess what? Every time you see Christ, guess what you get in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Just go back a few verses. Chapter right before. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And when we look at the glory of the Lord, we are being what? Transformed or changed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you see Jesus, you are changed. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to be changed? What do you need to do? See Jesus. Do you want to grow from one degree of glory to the next? Stare at Jesus. Do you want to kill sin in your life? Gaze at the glory of Jesus. And keep it there. And pray like Bartimaeus. Lord... I want to see. I've been a Christian for so long. I'm reading this Bible and sometimes it just goes, the page just goes blank. It just goes blank in my mind. I want to see. Lord, help me to see you. Because when I see you, I will love you. And when I love you, I will love others. I need to see. I need spiritual sight. Not just as a non-Christian. Even as a Christian. Paul prays in Ephesians 1.18 that the eyes of the, the saints would be enlightened. We need to see. And so we pray for this. Go back to Mark 10. Mark 10. Last, last, last verse here, Mark 10, verse 52. So he says, I want to see. And what does Jesus say to him? Go. Go your way. Mark 10.52. Your faith has what? Healed you. Now, he believed Jesus was merciful, he believed Jesus was able, and so his faith has healed him. His faith has healed him. He saw Jesus' mercy, his compassion, his ability, and so Jesus heals him. You know what's another translation for heal there? Save. Your faith has saved you. Now, healed you is a good translation, because that's the context. He was healed of his physical blindness. But you can't help but think that Mark has a secondary meaning there, right? Not just healed you physically, but healed you spiritually he actually saved you from your sins he saved you he caused you to be born again and how do we know that what does this man do as soon as he sees he follows jesus on the what on the road road. isaiah 35 4 says this about god's coming salvation he will save you the eyes of the blind will be opened in verse 6 it says the water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert like when they were wandering through the wilderness after they were redeemed from the Exodus redemption, right? They're redeemed out of Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness to the what? To the promised land. Okay, you need to know that because I'm going to give you a a biblical point here. They were redeemed. Their eyes are going to be opened. They're going to follow God on the way through the wilderness. Water's going to gush out, just like it gushed out of the rock, on their way to the promised land. So listen to verse 8 of Isaiah 35. A road, just like the road here, a road will be there. And a way. It will be called the holy way. Remember Jesus said, I am the way. It will be called the holy way. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Even the fool will not go astray. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go upon it. And they will not be found there. But the redeemed, Exodus redemption, those who have been redeemed like from the Exodus, will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion, the promised land, with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overwhelm them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. Sorrow will be gone. What does that sound like? No more tear? Sounds like heaven, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. The road that this man is now going on is the road that Jesus is taking to to do what in Jerusalem? To die for our sins, because when Jesus, get this now, when Jesus dies for our sins, he is performing the new exodus. He is redeeming sinners from their sin. And when he redeems them from their sin by dying, just like the 10th the plague. Remember, you kill that lamb, the Passover lamb. And it and then God passes over them and they're redeemed out of Egypt. Just like the Passover Lamb was sacrificed, Jesus is on his road to the place of sacrifice. He's on the road, and then when he dies there, he will redeem his people, exodusing them out of their sin. They will wander through the wilderness, walking the Christian life on the way, and when they end up, they are ending up where? In heaven. The New Jerusalem, Zion. Jesus is performing salvation. He is on the road to save his people from their sins. He's there to redeem them. He's repeating the Exodus redemption on the road. And so the new creation is coming because Jesus is going to die for our sins. If you're not a Christian, this is the one thing you need to know today. The one thing you need to know that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for your sins and rise from the dead. You're a sinner condemned before God just like me. But God sent Christ to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead to redeem us out of our slavery to sin and slavery to death. If we will turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, just like God redeemed Israel with the, with the Passover lamp, God will redeem you by sacrificing his son in your place for your sins. Trust in Jesus today. Cry out to him to save you. And when you do, you'll do what this man did. He followed Jesus on the what? On the road. He followed Jesus on the road. In other words, he was willing to go where Jesus is going to die. Guess what he's going to do? He's willing to die for Jesus too. That's what it means to be a Christian. If anyone would come after me, Mark 8, 34. Let him deny himself, take up his cross and what? Follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Bartimaeus gets it. I'll die. I'm following you, Lord. There was one report about the terrorist attack in San Bernardino that one of the people who were killed was a Messianic Jew. That means a Christian. And there was a debate between him and this terrorist a few days ago about religion. Could it be that he was sharing the gospel and then dies now for his faith in Christ? Following Jesus on the road? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If the world hated Jesus, the world will hate you. So count the cost if you want to become a Christian. you got to count the cost to follow Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus. If you're a Christian, pray for help. If you're as a church, let's pray for each other that we would trust in Jesus and follow him on this path. Father, We cry out to you because we're needy, because you're merciful, and because you're able. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us faith in Jesus. Thank you that he's merciful, because when he was on the cross, you did not treat him mercifully. You condemned him and poured your wrath out on him that we might be saved. And then you raised him from the dead. And so, Father, we pray that we would trust in Jesus, that we would cry out, give us as a church a sense of desperation where we don't care about fearing what other people think, but we are just desperate for more of you and more of loving you and more of loving other people. Help us to feel our blindness, our poverty, our brokenness, our hunger and thirst that we might cry out to you again and again and again. We love you and we thank you that you are this awesome God who loves and hears us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We are going to sing hymn 330, Amazing Grace. We'll sing the first and second verse of Amazing Grace, hymn 330. If you want prayer, I'll be right here in the front to pray with you. Or I'll also be in the back as soon as this service is over. You can see me at the door for prayer there. Let's stand and sing hymn 330, Amazing Grace.